Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. It's a great privilege for me to be able to come and share the Word of the Lord with you today. I'm coming from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor here, and I'm very, very happy to be able to extend a heartfelt greeting from our beautiful sanctuary to my congregation here in Dallas and the extended members of this congregation, as well as to our Saints Network family. These are really unique days, spiritually and in the natural, and uh, I believe that uh, there's a confluence of influences that is unlike anything that we have ever faced before as a nation. I know we've had difficult times. I mean, I love to study history. I love to study the history of our nation. I'm sorry that there are many who are trying to rewrite it uh, for whatever political agenda they may have. Uh, there are many who are un unaware of what the actual historical uh, accounts are from our country and the things that we faced. So I know that there have been difficult times in the past. But what separates this where we live from those days is the progression of the timetable of God. Now, God's timetable was very much in the midst of the founding of this continent and the, uh, the various wars and interventions that we've been a part of as a nation. Um, through our revolution, through the Civil War, through the trying times over the past century. God's been with us through all of that. But in that perspective, <laughs> at, that, at those times, no matter how trying and difficult they were, they, they in themselves were not leading into the end times. And... Um, I, I know that there were a lot of sermons preached, especially in the 40s and 50s. My goodness, that was a moneymaker. Um, you, you know, you had uh, the establishment of Israel. You had uh, in the 60s the, 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 the Six-Day War. You had, you had all kinds of things going on. And end-time prophecy teachers were naming Antichrist left and right, and they were they were doing things that uh, were captivating a good portion of Christianity. Rapture talk was everywhere. And, um, you know, what, what, uh, what, what must we do as a people? And then in the 70s, there was a lot of influence uh, that was brought to bear in the church pertaining to views about the catching away of the rapture. But those days came and went. We're still here. And I know that every, every uh, generation of believers has in themselves thought, these are the last days. In fact, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, you know, people were Maranatha, even so come. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a blessed hope for us that we will be in heaven, but um, through eternity, and that the Lord has all this in control. But with all that being said, and I think even the even the, the, the biggest naysayer who may be listening to me right now would have to agree that during all of those times, there never was in place the, um, the technological advances and the mindsets of nations to to scrupulously supervise every detail of their, 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 their people's uh, life and existence. You know, with the, with the COVID vaccination coming, there is talk, a lot of concerted talk, that if, if you don't take that vaccine and if you don't have a proof that you took that vaccine. You may not be able to go into businesses. You may not, you definitely will not be able to travel internationally for foreseeable future. 
Who knows what certain states will do? They may have checkpoints at their borders and at their ports of entry saying, if you don't have proof of vaccination, you're not coming here. Who would have ever thought that would be? Who would have thought we would have that kind of scrutiny and control? And I'm not arguing the merits of it one way or another, but it sounds a whole lot like the precursor to no one being able to buy or sell unless you take the mark. And um, I, I, I know that we are, you know, George Orwell in 1984, uh, you talked about Big Brother. I mean, you cannot walk down the street of London, England without having several cameras, security cameras pointed at you all the time. Um, just about everything we do is captured in some way in some form of surveillance. You know, we are so tied into the technological um, the technological capacities of our finance and of, uh, of just about every walk of, of life. In fact, our most recent presidential election, um, and not, without being partisan, you know, who would have thought that electronically ballots would be able to be changed or um, altered, the potential of that? And um, that influences outside of the individual choosing what is going to happen and what's going to happen and what's not going to happen based upon the manipulation of a technological system. And um, forget about foreign intervention. I mean, that's obviously there. But my point is, in all of the times in other generations, None of these factors were in play. None of them. The, the capacities were not there. And I even look back at some of the end time sermons that I heard when I was uh, in high school in the 70s. And, you know, computers really weren't part of, of us, I mean, of our society. I mean, cell phones weren't there. The Internet wasn't there until Al Gore invented it. <laughs> little side joke there. And, you know, they had this picture of a computer in Belgium and it filled a room and they called it the beast. And I think probably every prophecy teacher in America and then brought it over into Europe had pictures of that. And they said, look what they called it, the beast. Well, it's laughable now because the power probably in your cell phone or iPad is far greater than what was in that room. And guess what? Technological advances are happening almost daily. You see the ads for the new for the new iPhone? I mean, I'm I'm astounded at what that thing can do. And with each one of those, we're surveilled. We're, we're earmarked. You know, I can, I can look on my phone and find out where my family is. I, I can zoom in and know exactly where they are. You think the government doesn't know that? Um, you know, if, if I say something in my house it, within an hour on any device I have, if I mentioned, for instance, I didn't mention this, but if I mentioned a can opener or uh, an air conditioner, I'll have ads on the phone or on my computer touting that thing. So you think that we're not in a time unlike any other where what is whispered in the corner is shouted from the housetops? So we're living in a day unlike any other and, you know, I remember being in seminary in Springfield, Missouri, Queen City of the Ozarks, and one of the most uh, tenured and respected professors in the Assemblies of God, we were taking a course on the book of Revelation. And we were looking at not only the, the, the textual issues there and uh, 
and the uh, the things that were happening uh, for John at that time, and we were we were then reviewing a lot of um, beliefs that were stitched together about the end times out of the book of Revelation and then into Daniel. And as we looked at this candidly, we weren't just touting the party line. The, the instructor said, you know, I've looked at this every which way, and I believe in the Bible, and I believe in the second coming, and I believe in the rapture, and I believe in the tribulation, and I believe all those things. Of course, you have to say that. But he said, I have to tell you that as I take a candid look at Scripture, I recognize that a lot of the standing doctrinal viewpoints that are that are really uh, foundationally a part of the movement don't hold up to what the scripture says. They are extrapolations. They are suppositions based upon uh, men and women's best guess at what they mean regarding the timeline, regarding what nations will come and rise and what, what specific things mean. And, you know, that really stuck with me. And I recognized that to be true. And, of course, if you don't, at least it was, I remember one time I'd been the pastor here for a couple of years, and there was a really sweet woman that was part of our church. And she would come. She had a beautiful voice. She sang during the offertories. And she came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm going to, uh, you know, I love this place and I appreciate and love you, but I'm going to have to leave. And I said, why? And I said, she said, because you don't preach on the second coming enough. And I didn't know how to answer that. I said, why does the church have to have a sermon all the time on the second coming? I mean, Jesus even says to those who said, will you at this time restore? Or, you know, when, when, when will the kingdom come? He said, I don't know. Only the Father knows. So should we not live our life in service of God? Do we have to continually be scared? You better not do this. You better do this because Jesus could come at any moment. And you're, every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, you, you could open your eyes and those people near you will be gone away. What will you do then? You know, those songs in the 70s, I wish we'd all been ready and, you know, we should live our life that way. But there, there are so, in preparation and living openly before the Lord, but I don't need to be scared every two weeks about that. I grew up hearing that. And after a while, it became old. It became like somebody banging a tin can outside the church windows. And um, I think I think we should just recognize that we have a work to do as intercessors and we see the world uh, spiraling toward the time of the end. And we we you know, I tell you one thing. It's been astounding to be able to look deeply into the scriptures and to study them um, in their in, in, with with the help of the 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 Bible softwares that were not available when I was growing up, they would have been so helpful to have during uh, college and seminary. But we have the ability to to go and to cross study and to compare Scripture with Scripture, and you see, really, the pre preponderance of words about the end time is for for those that are serving God as saints to be um, serving him and to not be ignorant of what our responsibilities are and to look for, um, for opportunities to partner with God in, in, these, in these days. So I say that we are in a time like no other, and sometimes it's it really is startling to hear that, um, listen to what is now happening right now. It's, it's not with some guy with 666 on his forehead and a pitchfork and a tail underneath his suit. Uh, it's not some guy that's making everybody get branded on the 
on the hand or the forehead, it's, it's setting the stage for that. You know, who, who's going to stand against being uh, free from a pandemic? Oh, think of your grandmother. Well, I can't think of my grandmother. They're, they're both dead. I'm a grandfather now. Think of me. But we're under the covering of the blood. Um, then if you, if, you don't, if you don't do this and get your passport of vaccination, if you don't do this, you're going to be ostracized. You're, you're not going to be able to go into some grocery stores or, um, you know, you'll be branded like the Chinese. They monitor their people. And if you express something on the Internet or if you say something on a, on a chat, they will impose restrictions on you. You're not going to be able to buy first-class tickets on a, on a train. You, you won't be able to travel. Um, you, you, you get demerits at work. You won't be promoted. Your children are kept out of, out of uh, the better schools. That's happening right now. It's not some Orwellian fantasy. And as we sidle up to China, you know, you've got advisors from mainland China advising Facebook right now. Uh, you know, that's a fact. That's not some myth. What's going to happen in this country? And so you see that happening and you think, all right, the groundwork's being laid. And once Christians are really branded as racists and misogynists and, you know, the word of God is discredited and you've got all this watered down progressive Christianity over here that, that uh, is saying you either tout the party line of socialism or you're, you're, you're going to be disbanded as a church. You know, that's coming. You do know that's coming. I'm not saying it's next week. I'm not trying to make everybody fear, but read the signs. Never in America. How many things in the past couple of years have we seen that we thought this would never be in America? But here it is. What's being taught at Yale and Harvard and Princeton and all, many, many universities. Hate America. Destroy it. Um, we're, we're a wicked, wicked country and we need to get rid of those Christians and many churches openly saying we can't trust the word of God. There are other voices that are equal to it or surpass it. Who would have ever thought that would be mainstream? But it is. I didn't intend to say all this right now. I guess the point though is, is that I began by stating that we're living in a time like no other. And I also said that every generation thought that but I attach the caveat to say that technologically and in the, in the almost daily advances of technology have made us prime as a world for the emergence of the system of the demonic that's prophesied in the end time. And so we have time yet. It's work for the night is coming when no man can work? I don't know the time. I mean, I, Jesus, I, we already referenced that. Only the Father knows. So we need to be serving the Father. And don't be being like Pentecostal prognosticators uh, giving our opinions on what the lottery numbers are going to be tomorrow. I remember there was a book, I've mentioned this before, I, I had just become pastor here in 1987. And there was a book that came out. It was called 87 Reasons Jesus Will Return in 1987. And this dude even established a date. It was in, I think it was in October. And then on that Sunday, this place was packed. <laughs> I guess, I guess... If, if people were really uh, wanting to uh, validate their, their Christianity card in case there was a, uh, remember when Ross Perot was running for president? Hear that sucking sound? That's all our jobs are going down to Mexico. Um, hear that sucking sound? That's, that's the spirit catching away all you Christians. 
And even those that were kind of on the sidelines of God, maybe they got the, thought they'd be caught in the updraft. But we had all these people here, and I just, I joked at the beginning um, saying that I was going to send a thank you note to the man's name who wrote the book. And I remember his name. I'm just not saying it because I don't want to embarrass anybody. He's probably dead now. So Jesus did not come at that appointed time. And I'm not kidding you. Within two months, he came out with another book saying 88 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1988. And he said that he had miscalculated on a couple of things. Well, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. When that date came, we didn't have a, an overflow crowd. We had a good crowd, but but wasn't overflow. And of course, Jesus. At least I hope he didn't come back then, or we're all we're all kind of in trouble. But people have always been fascinated by that, and um, naming the Antichrist. Oh my goodness. Telling the time. When, when is Jesus coming? It's going to have to come here. How many red heifers have been discovered in Israel? That means Jesus is coming now. What about, what about the blood moon? Oh man, we better get... People suck that stuff up like a bear eating honey. But when you talk about being an intercessor in diversities of tongues, on your face before God, which if you really study the mark of the beast, you find that every time it is mentioned, it is in conjunction with the beast requiring that those who have taken the mark be on their face before God, before him, which is the same thing that Satan wanted Jesus to do uh, when Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. All these will be yours if you're on your face before me. That's another teaching. But, you know, the point is, though, that... Um, we just need to be wise in this season. And um, I, I, uh, it's a season like none other. And yet God has allowed us to be alive during this specific time frame. He caused us to be born to serve him at this particular time. And it's quite an honor, but we must... We must be ready to serve. We must be ready to, um, to do all that he requires of us. And that's really um, where we find ourselves right now. And it's a good place. But I will also say that there is a, there is a demand placed upon the people known as the saints in the scripture. And um, the exploits that the saints are supposed to be doing are a threat to the enemy, which is why in the scriptures, in the scriptures, we find that he is, our enemy is very keen on eliminating the saints and the the prophets. You know, the queen of heaven in the book of Revelation has a chalice filled with the blood of the saints. And uh, so to serve God as a saint right now is an imperative for fulfilling what God has asked us to do, but it is also something that the scriptures say is going to really Put us on the front line of spiritual warfare. Now, this past Sunday, I shared on our communion Sunday from Psalm 23, verse 5. And I encouraged those who were part of that teaching to recognize that God has prepared a table for us. And we went through the scripture to talk about the various ways that the Holy Spirit used the term translated as prepared. And I ask our constituents to go before the table of the Lord in communion and to reflect on the various ways that are mentioned there. 
And it, it is quite a list. That, that teaching and that the bullet point outline is available for you on our archives. But the table that God has prepared is a table of tremendous blessing, identity, service. Um, it, it's, it's just an amazing thing. And we should recognize the blessing of the Lord that is on that table. He, he, he has really stated to us that when you are in the presence of your enemies, that table is, is there. And what you do in the presence of the enemies is honor what's on that table. Now, that was Sunday's message. But as the, as the days have gone by, since that time, the Spirit has drawn me to, to the other two facets of that opening phrase of Psalm 23, verse 5. Thou preparest a table before, before me in the presence of my enemies. It's one thing to know what's on the table and that it's prepared. It's another thing to know how that table is presented to you. And what our enemy is doing. So let's let's consider that today. Now, God's prepared a table before us. Now, before us is um, is the, the Hebrew word that is translated often as face or the face of God. And there are extrapolations off that word. We've had wonderful teachings about this in the past that speak about the cornerstone or also the, the corner. And um, it's, it's really a, a wonderful reflection of being face-to-face with God, aligning yourself with his ways, and subsequently in that representing what our chief cornerstone has made possible for the building of his church and the kingdom, as well as our placement in the corner, our placement uh, in the place that God has um, has assigned us. I... I uh, I know that, again, we've taught on this in the past, but the face of God is an interesting concept in Scripture. And there are a number of passages that say you can't see the face of God and live. You know, you have Moses who wanted to see God's glory. In other words, he wanted to, um, he wanted to be able to know uh, the assignment that God was giving and he wanted to be privy to all that God was trying to do. And God said, you're not going to be able to do that. I'm going to hide you here in the place that I've positioned you. And uh, I'm going to cover you with my hand of partnership. Um, and I'm going to pass by. And you, you, um, you'll see when it's all over. And you'll understand. But then on the same path... You've got Jacob who said in, in Penuel, I've seen the face of God face to face. And the Lord wants us to recognize that the concept of being before the Lord is an intimate pursuit. It is really aligning with the circle of God's ways and... Um, to, to, to be in intimate relationship and partnership with God. Now, in that, you're not going to be God's counselor. Your opinion doesn't really matter. You are, you are going to be, um, you're going to be privy to the intimacy of his presence 
and you're going to be partnering with him in his ways. And when he turns, you're supposed to turn. When he moves, you're supposed to move. Um, the wheel within the wheel in Ezekiel speaks about the restorative ways of God in a, on a major uh, worldwide dimension and the, the interior dimension of what he's doing in you. Both of those things happening at the same time, usually going in different directions, one creative, one restorative. But to, to be aligned with the face of God is an intimate thing. And it has to do with, no matter what's going on in the natural, you first and foremost are friend of God and you are partnering with him in his ways. You're not just hearing uh, battlefield directives and moving forward. You, you, you've got to know God. And that's why David <clears throat> gained the favor of the Lord by wanting to seek after his heart. And that, that is such a, a wonderful thing for us to know uh, in our walk that that's what God wants. That's what he, what, what he desires. He doesn't want just a bunch of automatons that are just marching in lockstep. Now, you need that in the army of the Lord. But God's looking for friendship. He's looking for partners. He's looking for the journey with you. You know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to fear because you are with me. Um, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of confusion about what the face of God is. And I don't know how many Christian, well, prophetic songs, and we love them, just are built upon show me your glory or something that God said, no, I'm not going to do that. Why are we asking that in song? Why don't we understand what that means and hide ourselves in him under his hand in the cleft. And, um, you know, God, God is not the glory. Do not confuse the glory of God with his presence. They're, they're, they're two different things. They, they exist together, but they're two, they're two different things. You know, when we travel in France, if they're one of the, if you want to guarantee, uh, attendance at a conference, you you put the word glory somewhere in it, seeking the gloire. You know, we're, we're going to see that. But what the people are really wanting, most of them, and I know this from experience, they want a visitation. They want to see or feel something that they've never seen or felt before. I understand that. It's wonderful to experience the move of God. But that in itself is not the glory. The glory in the scripture is God revealing something that he's doing now, on a, not just a temporal visitation, but um, uh, something that has been unheard of, dare we say apostolically. And, and it's also the privilege of the person or the people who are representing that. And it is... It is viewed as fire, the, the fire of judgment and burning that speaks about the purpose of God meeting the functionality of God. And that's what the glory is. It's not just a goosebump or hair standing on end or, you know, I went out in the spirit or I danced for two hours or the music was just killer. It was wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Those are experiences and as pleasant as they may be, that in itself is not the glory. And so when we speak about the face or the ways of God, it is an intimate relationship with God and a commensurate partnership with him where you devote yourself as an intercessor to something that he's called and offered you to do. And then you align yourself in that, in that really... Uh, integral way with him. So 
And and subsequently, then you're positioned at the corner, you know, Zechariah 10, 4, um, and that progression of four is astounding, but the corner is your placement. Where is the cross? Where is the cross to be established by you? And, um, you know, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone was rejected by the builders. But we embrace the identity of Jesus, the chief cornerstone, and we build off of that with the same mindset that we're going to be in intimate relationship with God face to face, and what we're doing may not be heralded by a 20,000-member church on a Sunday morning where people think, oh man, God must be with them. Look at all the people they have. It's kind of weird now with COVID restrictions. I, I guess God must not be with those people anymore. But, you know, the point, though, is, is that he's prepared a table before me. It is, if we're walking with God in that intimate way of his face, face to face, face a face, then we are, that's the before me. That's the before me. So, which is why what our assignment was this past Sunday, as we go before the table of the Lord and we point by point go through the things that he makes available and ready at that table, you think about it. You're going to have to be, if you're really going to do that properly, face-to-face with God. It can't just be a cognitive exercise, even though that's helpful. Uh, You've got to recognize that all these things are born about. You are there. You are in the army of the Lord. You are invested by certain capacities and giftings and skills. You are laying yourself on the altar of, of, of submission to God. Those things can only truly happen when you're face-to-face with him. I spent a long time over the years at the altars, at the front of churches, at the end of services, kneeling there. And God was good there. But primarily, we were taught to pray about needs or to repent or to do all those things. Those things are necessary. But they in in themselves are not a face-to-face experience. Yes, you may be before the Lord. Yes, you may emotionally be tied. Yes, God may be doing something. But it's a totally different experience between that and being face-to-face before God. I can tell you from experience and from understanding this in the Scripture. And so... We, we are experiencing the table of the Lord that he has prepared. And again, I encourage you to revisit that teaching, uh, Arach. But it's before me, face to face with God. So then we come to how the enemy tries to confront that in the presence of mine enemies. If you, if you look at that, which I'm sure you will, um, you will see that this is a, a really good translation, but it's um, in the presence of mine enemy is all one Hebrew word, sarar. And that's that's an interesting word because it speaks about the enemy just enveloping you. I mean, this word, a derivative of this word, is just used to describe how the ancient slingshot surrounded the stone that was in it. It's it's used. It's translated as being vexed. A uh, a uh, an adversary that is just around you all the time. It talks about a city that's besieged. It's uh, it's bound, uh, something that's been bound up. 
Uh, it's a tight place. Straits, S-T-R-A-I-T, uh, is, is, is there distress? I'm just scanning through this. You can do the same thing. Affliction. Um, enemies. It's translated as. Uh, it, it, it really means to be uh, very tightly circumferenced by an enemy or by an army. Uh, I, and I love, I love this one word, Isaiah 28, the covering narrower, 2820, than that he can wrap himself in it. The bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on, verse 20 of Isaiah 28, and the covering narrower than that he can wrap himself in it. it you know, that, that's, that's interesting because, you know, we are we're called to, to move forward in the Lord and grow in him and adapt. As you get bigger, you outgrow the bed and you outgrow the ability to be wrapped by the blanket. That's, that's a difficult thing. But it speaks about the covering of a blanket and you wanting to be covered, but it's used to describe how the enemy moves. And you come into, um, you come into uh, verses upon verses that speak about the pangs of uh, the enemy. Um, uh, Lamentation 120, Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. The ma'a is, is really pressed upon. Um, the wind hath bound her up in, in wings, uh, how a, of a bird would, to, would carry the, the young, uh, and, and the, 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 the bird would actually be enveloped by the wind. Um, there will be distress, but that, but that word really means a very narrow surrounding or a circumference. Have you felt that way lately? Oh, over these past couple of months, I have. Uh, over the past year, you know, I remember when we had our first Wednesday night um, remote broadcast. And we weren't going to have our church service because we were restricted from doing that here in the great state of Texas. Um, I know that's difficult for some of you in other states to recognize, but as we've seen over the years, every state has different uh, restrictions that have been put on them. And I know Supreme Court rulings and everything, but point is, I remember preparing for that. And we used to do it live at night, and we stopped doing, I stopped doing that because there were all kinds of technical glitches. People would tune in and They'd say, you know, for whatever reason, we're not broadcasting. I'd start getting a bevy of texts. Are you on? We can't hear you, which is why we started this way so that people can hear this, this message on a Wednesday whenever they feel led to. Now, that has its drawbacks because unless you have a, an assigned time, this is when the broadcast is going to be, or I've got to be at church at this time, chances are you're... You may forget to do to listen. You may not do it till the next day or the day following. I know because I see the, the data. But I remember on that afternoon feeling the enemy come in. It was horrible. And I had never felt an oppression like that. I testified about this. And, and I know that it was the advent of the way our enemy was trying to move across our nation at that time and um, subsequently around the world. And, and since that time, there have been a lot of different moments in intercession or in the middle of the night or even during the day where you could feel the encroach of the presence of the enemy. Now, I'm not glorifying the enemy I mean, you can bind and you can rebuke and you can cast out and you can do all those things. But you know, I don't know how you're going to be a warrior with the full armor. Why do you need the full armor if anytime you see the enemy, you can just cast him away? Why don't you just scud missile a few decrees 
and um, he's not there. Uh, well, too bad Paul didn't know about that when he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so forth. And I've yet to see wrestling, remote wrestling. Have you? Well, that'd be something to watch. It'd be kind of funny to watch. You, you get a hold of uh, Dennis and Tammy's son, Ryan, who was a wrestler in college, and ask him what it means to wrestle. Uh, I mean, can you just bind your opponent and command him or her to to be apart from you? I mean, if you're going to wrestle, you're going to wrestle. You're going to wrestle. And, you know, it's not that we're welcoming the enemy, but here and in many other scriptures, you have prepared a rock, a table before me, the face, face to face with God in the Sarar where the enemy thinks he has you encompassed. He thinks that you have been stopped on your progression through the valley. But God, in the midst of that, where you're face to face with him, where you are reflecting on all the goodness in that table God has prepared, no social distancing in this. No fathom. A fathom was six feet. No, we can't fathom this. <laughs> That's a literal and figurative thing. Um, well, we can fathom it figuratively. Because if we're going to walk with God through this valley, the Lord is our shepherd. We're in a righteous pathway. The enemy comes and surrounds us, trying to dissuade and to overwhelm. And he does not want us there. He he doesn't want us in that Selah moment to bring promise to fulfillment. There is God in the very center. We're face to face with him at that table. And on the one hand, we have to be very careful because with the enemy in such proximity, He's like a roaring lion, a roaring lion, a roaring lion seeking what he may devour. He's looking at you, trying to figure out what area of iniquity can I poke. In this year of the prophetic, how many times have you been offended? Some people get offended so much they just think it's like a breeze on a sunny day. I mean, the enemy's trying to provoke offense in you. And instead of you getting offended and pointing your finger at others saying, you're disrespecting me, maybe you should say, I'm supposed to be dead right now. And how can a dead person be offended? How, what has the enemy found in me that, um, that he's triggering here? And then your offense creates a problem for everybody else around you in that close-knit environment. That's our enemy's strategy. I mean, cancel culture. I mean, look at this. How many people across this nation over the past year have been offended by this or by that? And then they march in the streets. And, of course, when you say that, then you're a bigot or you're whatever. I've never seen so much offense in my life. And if you are guilty or innocent of being the of the offender whether you know it or not whether you're guilty of it or not you're ostracized you're branded fire them all do you read some of the nonsense that's being put out by people who should know better about vindictively going after supporters of the the, the administration from 2016 to now vengeance we got to correct them we got to teach them we've got to train them that's communist manifesto stuff offense it's all over the place everybody's offended well that's the enemy it's the same unless you've deconstructed this out of the scripture forgive and it shall be forgiven you know turn the other cheek Vengeance is mine. What about those verses? We got to protest. We got to go out and, you know, these people that that are walking 
German shepherds are, you know, it, it's, it, it's terrible. We've got to take a stand and, you know, anybody that comes out and tells them not to let that dog do his business on their yard, we've got to punish that person. They're, they hate German shepherds. I hope I didn't offend PETA right there. Sure I did. Watch ourselves. Recognize this scenario. We are partnering with God. We are supposed to be face to face with Him. We're supposed to be dead to self. God's got a table there, but where's the enemy? He's surround. According to this scripture, he's like he's pressing in on every side to try to influence you and to snuff out the victory. But light emerges from the darkness. My head anointed with oil. God is commissioning us for a new day of victory. That's pretty much why you anoint with oil. Oh yes, you must have oil to, to help us from the desert sun. You know, you can just get a really good tan with that. But the anointing here is for service. It's anointing your point of authority before the Lord and your cup runs over. Yeah, it's a cup of commune. Yes, it's a cup of the blood of Jesus. I know that. Powerful. But primarily in the scripture, the cup represents your assignment from God. That's what Jesus said. Let this cup pass from me if it be thy will. So here you have, you've overcome the enemy. You, you are communing with God face to face. You're feasting at this table that has many, many wonderful things on it. God has prepared it. And as you, in the midst of that, not only the benefits of the table, but there's a fresh anointing, and your assignment from God is so filled with potential and vitality that it just begins to overflow immediately. What a wonderful thing. So I, I'm, I'm asking you today, and, it, and it, is this really, you know, we spent Sunday morning talking about the first part of this passage, and now the same verse we're going through the other two parts. You know, you think about it. Um, this is really what you do when you are looking for the meat of the word where you piece by piece meditate upon what God has said and you don't just take one little blip of it and stitch it together with three or four other blips throughout scripture and put your own message together it's called a topical sermon very often it's not contextual uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to just be able to find a rhema passage and to meditate and take that strong meat and digest it. You know, over the past couple of months, I've had times where I would just primarily be ingesting broth or some kind of soup or a liquid type of a diet. You can... You don't have to chew that at all. You just kind of move it around your mouth with your tongue and down it goes. But when you first get that privilege of being able to eat solid food, you're still kind of careful because, you know, you know that when you first begin that, you got to, your system is used to all that liquid. So you've, you've got to be really careful. You don't just sit down with a T-bone steak and, you know, a basket of fries and a salsa and chips and, uh, you know, you, you be careful. But I remember having steak, which I ordered from the hospital, and putting it in little tiny bites, cutting it and chewing it and chewing it, just enjoying that. Um, when you get to strong meat you got to take some time. You don't just belt it down. Say, make it simple. Mommy, give me the bottle. Wah, wah, wah. 
just explain it to me in 20 minutes with just a couple of verses and a couple of nice stories so I can feel emotional. Do you want that liquid diet? Go ahead, but what's that going to do for you? You're going to be emaciated. You're not going to be able to survive. You know, I remember um, having a lecture from a doctor about, you know, you've, you've lost blood and, you know, the iron count, the blood counts low. And one of the best things you can do is have red meat. I'm sorry for all you vegetarians. But amazingly, when I had a couple of steaks, how quickly my blood count rose and how much I felt vitality. You know, we're here in the battle. We're being exerted and we're, we're encompassed. But God is in the midst and we, we need strong meat spiritually. And the way you take strong meat is you break it down, chew it up, beef, it's what for dinner. And you, you let it come into you. You don't just swallow it whole. Um, and you let that digest properly. So when you take time to look at this scripture, can you believe it preached two sermons? Probably could have stretched it into a third. Who knows what's coming next? Out of this one verse, this is what we must do with a rhema word when we're in the thick of the battle. Something that the Spirit of God knows we need uh, in a nutritional way to know Him and to enjoy His, His presence in the battle. So you got to take time with this. And it, to me, it is simple. To me, I spent, I don't know how many days on this table prepared and just communed with God. Probably should have done it more. But even yesterday, the, the panim, the, the pre, before me, to be face to face with God. It was a significant exchange in the spirit here in the sanctuary. It was cold in here yesterday. But God was with, with very face to face. And it was then that I started sensing, you know, you need to, you need to chew a little bit more. You need to cut a few more pieces of that verse. And then to recognize that the presence of my enemy, we're not glorifying the enemy, but yet we're not discounting what's here. And how do you overcome that? You overcome evil with good. You overcome darkness with light. And I, I declare over you this type of commune with God in this day and in the days to come. We need it. We need him. What joys, what wonders await us as we do this. Yeah, the enemy's around. <laughs> that's no news flash but let let this mind be in you the joy set before you enjoy the commune face to face with your heavenly father jesus is in the midst meet at that table and let god Arise to where the anointing, if you imagine that, here in the, the enemy is surrounding, up close, a theatron of theatrons, and here's God pouring oil on your head. And here is, um, here is the cup of victory and vitality, and it's, it's not just there. There's so much victory. You're going to get tired of winning. <laughs> It's overflowing. That's your victory. Digest this strong meat. Ruminate upon it. God is with you. Well, thank you for tuning in today. Um, we'll look forward to sharing a primer on Friday. And don't forget first Saturday prayer. 
that is this week we're here in this month of december how time has flown but god is with us and we speak blessing over you we continue to declare the blood of jesus over you may god protect you may he meet with you may he commune with you and may you be of service to him god bless you all thanks for joining and we will look forward to the next time we can meet in this way or see you here at the father's church goodbye